Welcome to Madam's Hoes and Gigolos, a podcast about the history of sex work and historical events surrounding sexual revolutions. I'm your host, Heather, and with me is my friend, Connor. Together, we've created a bi-weekly podcast discussing all topics in regard to history and sex. And this is episode number five, and we've been getting some uh, great response from everybody. Our downloads have exceeded 1,000, which is really exciting for us. The number of downloads per episode keep increasing. And we're getting comments from people. And it's funny, the most common comment that we got after our last episode was in regards to some viral online videos. That I have yet to be exposed to, but are living rent-free in my head. Yeah, it's funny how most people have forgotten about Two Girls, One Cup. And I'm surprised you haven't seen Cake Parts, because that one's not even really disgusting per se. It's just kind of cute. I haven't even looked it up. I'm still kind of offended for it because I am an avid cake lover. And I think the only way I can justify this is if it's red velvet cake because I don't like red velvet cake. So is it at least red velvet cake? No, it's not. It's like a I don't I don't want to ruin it for you. If you if you want to see it, you're going to have to watch it. We'll set something. Well, we've got an exciting episode This one actually doesn't require any trigger warning, which is pretty awesome. And so we'll be talking about something called sexpionage. Sex spies. Yeah. What could be more exciting than that? So what is sexpionage? It's the stuff that spy novels, diplomatic folklore, congressional investigations, and Hollywood blockbusters are made of. James Bond films, Jennifer Lawrence's 2018 movie Red Sparrow, Alfred Hitchcock's 1944 release of Notorious starring Ingrid Bergman and Cary Grant. Even Austin Powers is about sexpionage. But what is it? The story of the intelligence and security agencies is certainly among the oldest and most romantic topics in the field of security. Sexpionage, femme fatale, sounds like fiction or erotic fantasies, a sex trap designed to obtain confidential material from any intelligence operation, also known as a honeypot. And by the way, when you say honeypot, there's one movie that comes to my mind. It was with uh, Seth Rogen and James Franco a few years ago. It was called The Interview. I remember that movie. Wasn't it tried almost ban or Korea tried to ban it? Yeah. Sony Pictures was just hacked and there was like all kinds of like vague threats being made. And Sony actually pulled the movie like they had invested like hundreds of millions of dollars into this movie. And they're just like, well, I guess we're just not going to show it because we're scared. And people fought them on that and they said we, we want to see it and the theaters said we're not going to show it and so they ended up releasing it straight on uh, home video like video on demand but didn't it still do well it did pretty well i oh, i don't know if it made all their money i think i think that it did i think that it made a ton of money on on demand but i bring it up because they at the time uh, wanted to get information i well, someone was trying to get information from them and they were talking about honey potting but because there was a guy that was getting close to them, I remember them just asking, are you honey dicking me? That was like a term that they had created. Do you remember seeing that? I've, act- I've never watched the movie. You know what's funny? There's a lot of these actual movies that I haven't seen, but movies like Austin Powers, I'm going to keep bringing up because those are the movies I saw, more so than any other James Bond movie. And there's a lot of funny spy references in Austin Powers that most people probably wouldn't even get. I never thought of them until uh, knowing about this episode. You know, what's funny is um, I don't think I've ever seen a James Bond movie, but I've been to Monte Carlo and I've been to that casino in one of the movies where you have to dress up in evening gowns and all that fun stuff. And you just, you know, you play poker. I, I don't I don't know. I don't even gamble. But we we dressed up in evening gowns and we went to the casino Monte Carlo where they filmed James Bond. And, you know, I ordered my martini shaken, not stirred the classic James Bond way and mm-hmm. just had my moment. And in front of this casino, there were, you know, a bunch of exotic cars, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, and even the cop cars were exotic. It was very crazy. Monte Carlo is probably a, a rich culture, very expensive, because that's where all the yachts are, right? The celebrity yachts? Probably. I don't know. I was just there for a day, but that's my my James Bond connection. Other than that, I don't really watch too many movies, so... Did you get a uh, a great reaction from them when you asked for your martini shaken, not stirred? Um, it's probably kind of like me with my job, and I get the same redundant joke over and over, and you kind of just do the eye roll and the laugh. Oh, 
And then I feel like it was probably that this isn't the first time that the bartender had heard shaken, not stirred. What, what kind of reactions are you getting at your job? Or I've one time had a guy where I was examining his testicles and he reached over and tickled me and asked me if I was married. And he was this, he was, what? A, oh, it was an experience and he was missing his teeth and he like, was like you sure are purdy and then he took oh. his teeth like he took his tongue where his teeth were supposed to be and started wiggling it at me while i was examining his testicles Ugh. weird story i can't even imagine how awkward yeah so historical records show us that it's been implored and was successful as a method by the kgb you know what the kgb is um i actually had reached out to a friend who was from russia and had asked her to help me pronounce it, and I still wasn't able to get it. <laughs> I tried too. For anyone listening, here's how you pronounce KGB. Well, the KGB, or the Komitet Kasudarstvenai Bezapasnosti, was the Soviet Union Security and Foreign Intelligence Agency. Okay, so that's pretty much all we need to know. KGB is basically like the, the CIA or the FBI of Russia, and it was a secret police force that uh, was around from 1954 until 1991, so for almost 40 years. Their manual still circulates around Russia, and it's an extremely effective guide for anyone collecting intel. In fact, if you remember back from 2019, when former special counsel Robert Mueller testified before the U.S. Congress about Russian interference in the 2016 elections, he had outlined some tactics that were in this manual, and they're still in use today to undermine the United States and European countries. During the American Civil War between 1861 and 1865, a number of female spies from the South seduced senior union officers and politicians into indiscretions that helped the Confederacy. Nathaniel Lyon was the first union general to be killed in the American Civil War. Lyon allegedly disguised himself as a farwoman to spy on the state guards camp and then claimed that he had uncovered a plan by Claiborne Jackson to seize the arsenal for Missouri troops. The KGB trapped victims since World War II. During the war, British propaganda posters warned the public that careless talk costs lives and warned soldiers about supposedly conniving and beautiful female companions. Keep mum, she's not dumb. With a long list of men and women, bachelors and married couples, young and old, homosexuals and heterosexuals, military and journalists, security guards and presidents, ambassadors, political officials, all being trapped. Sexpionage escalated during the Cold War. Rumors of John F. Kennedy about a sexual li liaison with an East German spy circulated. Women like Mata Hari, Betty Pack, Larissa Kromberg used sex and seduction to gather intel, and all these women will be people we discuss on other podcasts. So cool. So we're going to be talking today about the exploits of the spy seductress, which is an occupation that could be said to combine the world's oldest and second oldest professions by establishing a pseudo-emotional relationship or engaging in a sexual relationship. So there's two ways that they used to get information from their mark. One, the seducer or the seductress can build a rapport with that mark that would result in that person revealing information about the situation that would benefit the agency that, that they're working for. Or two, they would establish that same kind of situation and maybe take photos, compromising photos, and then threaten to release them or release information if they're not given what they need. So basically charm and pillow talk. And if that doesn't work, then they blackmail them. Yeah, right. Step one, and if not, then step two. Exactly. So for example, there was a Russian actress. Uh, her name was Larissa Kronberg. She was recruited by the KGB. She had charmed and seduced a French diplomat, Maurice Dijon, and he was twice her age, but for some reason felt that she was totally into him, as many older guys do. Uh, he was captivated by the educated, blue-eyed, well-dressed woman that she was. During one of Maurice Dijon's visits to Larissa, a guy playing the, quote, jealous husband, I'm using air quotes here, burst into the apartment of Larissa, and this husband was also a part-time KGB agent. This furious husband attacked the diplomat with his fists, and he began to threaten him with court, basically saying, you are with my wife, and you're in big trouble unless, right? 
So to avoid a scandal, Dijon had to ask for help from his Moscow acquaintances, who were happy to provide it in exchange for cooperation with the Soviet intelligence services. So let me understand this clearly. Moscow set up this fake scenario of Larissa's husband catching them in the act, even though Larissa wasn't married. So this French diplomat would go to them for help. And in order to say, yeah, we'll help you. But now you've got to betray your country of France. Right. He was a French diplomat caught up in a scandal with Russia. And a the fake KGB. scandal because she wasn't married. Right. But, you know, he, he didn't want whatever was going on to get out. And so, yeah, he cooperated with them. And so in exchange for her great work, Larissa, who was an actress, was rewarded uh, with Swiss watches made of gold and diamonds. That was uh, enough payment for her. A watch. Yeah, several, (laughs) I'm sure. And for the next six years, until another spy gave him up in 1964, Dijon kept passing misinformation back to his own bosses and then giving his spy masters in Russia the actual correct confidential information. Sexpionage escalated during the Cold War. Rumors of John F. Kennedy having a sexual liaison with an East German spy circulated. Two decades before John F. Kennedy became president, he met a suspected Nazi spy at Charleston, South Carolina Hotel. Her name was Inga Arvard, and they engaged in sexual intercourse on numerous occasions, according to the FBI agents who had bugged the room. Inga Arvard, a Danish beauty queen, film star turned journalist, met 24-year-old John F. Kennedy. They had an affair from 1941 to 1942. Inga was 28, and though lived separately from her second husband, she was still married. John was currently serving as an ensign in the U.S. Navy Office of Naval Intelligence just before the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Before meeting John, Inga had landed an interview with Hitler. Hitler said she was a stunning blonde, a perfect specimen of a Nordic beauty. The ruler invited Arvard to be his guest at the 1936 Olympics, where they were photographed together in his private box. Wow. What what wait, what does that sound like? Stunning blonde, perfect specimen of a Nordic beauty. Well, when the US entered World War II in December of 1941, Inga's connection to Hitler came back to haunt her. Suspecting that she was a Nazi spy, the FBI launched an investigation into Arvad. Federal agents tapped her phone and they watched the front door of her home, where they frequently saw a tousle-haired young man that they knew only as Jack. Well, now we know who that was. Inga was already being followed by the FBI because she was a resident alien. FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover had concerns that she was a German spy given her personal connection with Adolf Hitler. So when the FBI discovered that, quote, Enzyme Jack, who had been visiting Arvad, was in fact Jack Kennedy, they extended their investigation through wiretaps. There was no evidence found to show Inga of any wrongdoing, but that did not deter Hoover's FBI from the continued use of listening devices when Arvard and Kennedy were together. Because this seems like a modern-day Romeo and Juliet romance, Kennedy's superior officer at the time, Captain Seymour A.D. Hunter, was quoted as saying as the U.S. Navy looked at Arvard as similar to Mata Hari. They thought she was using Kennedy to find out all she could about what was going on in the Navy Department. The Washington intelligence community watching their every move and conspired to split them apart. They wanted to kick Kennedy out of the Navy, but because his father was the United States ambassador to the United Kingdom, Joseph P. Kennedy, it would be a delicate situation. Kennedy's father, aware of the investigation, eventually persuaded his son to end the relationship. The breakup, though, did not destroy the paper trail. It was believed that the young naval intelligence officer was not privy to the information that would be more than a bit embarrassing. Hunter advised that Kennedy be transferred to a seagoing unit. All the FBI field notes were used to reconstruct the politician's softer side. So they said that given that he was a bit of an exhibitionist, and uh, considered his machismo to be a political asset, having people listen to him and engaging in vigorous sex might not have embarrassed him much at all. Kennedy was reassigned to a desk job in South Carolina in January 1942, and the relationship fizzled shortly after Inga described the relationship as a passing affair. So when JFK clinched the Democratic nomination, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover 
ordered his aides to compile a report on the junior senator from Massachusetts dredging up this Arvard file. Hoover would later tell Kennedy, don't worry, the information is safe with us. And perhaps that's why, once JFK was elected uh, as president, Kennedy extended Hoover's power despite opposition from his trusted advisors. As Lyndon B. Johnson once said about Hoover and Kennedy, quote, it's probably better to keep Hoover inside the tent pissing outward than outside the tent pissing in. I kind of like that expression. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, if they're going to be pissing somewhere, you might as well keep them on your side. Right. These government agents have been named many things. Swallow, which is a female seductress. Raven, which is a male agent tasked to seducing intelligent targets like James Bond, which ironically, Jushko Popov, the person James Bond is based off of, wasn't even a raven. Well, hold on a second. You use the word swallow to describe a female seductress. And having not seen a whole lot of James Bond movies, I'm reminded once again of Austin Powers because in one of the films, I think it was the second one, The Spy Who Shagged Me, he met a woman named Robin Swallows, maiden named Spitz. I remember the conversation was something about like, you know, you might know her as Robin Spitz, Robin Swallows. And he's like, well, which is it, honey? Spitz or Swallows? Do you remember this? <laughs> no, I, I, I don't remember any of the, my Austin Powers. That was how long ago? That one was probably 99, you know, so like over 20 years ago still. But I didn't get that it actually had like spy humor in there. I just thought it was like a sexy joke. Yeah, you know, a, a play on words. Yeah. Jusko was a triple agent for Germany, Britain, and Serbia. He despised Hitler, so gladly accepted the opportunity to accept a German salary and expenses. He told the Germans that the troops were going to storm Calais instead of Normandy. He informed J. Edgar Hoover of a possible attack on Pearl Harbor. Popov showed Hoover a newly invented German microdot technology by which hundreds of words could be printed in the space of a period. Incredible. My brothers used to work at Magic Mountain and they would write your name on a grain of rice and that took an amazing amount of stability. Right. I, I remember that in Mexico too. Yeah. Your name on a grain of rice. Yeah. So that's that's really small, but like imagine hundreds of words in like space of a period. That's Right. That's interesting technology. We're going to have to look that up. Yeah. You know how I think they did it? Do you remember Shrinky Dinks? The... Uh, you you would uh, draw a picture on this plastic and put and it in the, put oven, it in the oven. Yes, <laughs> and it would shrink it down. Oh my god, that's brilliant! Oh, <sighs> yeah. Uh, if uh, if any uh, government agencies need some help, <laughs> Jushko Popov had a list of questions clearly indicating that Pearl Harbor was the key target. It was also indicated that the attack would be primarily by air rather than naval bombardment, and would involve both bombs and torpedoes. Instead, Hoover insulted Popov as a sex-crazed scoundrel and threatened to have him arrested for violation of the Mann Act. Now, what was the Mann Act? The Mann Act uh, basically made it a felony to engage in interstate or foreign commerce or transport of, quote, any woman or girl for the purpose of prostitution or debauchery or for any other immoral purpose. So he couldn't bring other women to other countries? and Not for that purpose. I guess that's basically... He couldn't Human go on vacation with another... He wouldn't go on a vacation with an, a woman he was fancy to? You could bring your own guess, but you can't bring any woman for the purpose of prostitution. But, I mean, these women weren't prostitutes. He was he was definitely engaging in activities with them, but he wasn't soliciting on them. He was the playboy. Or any other immoral purpose. Which would be premarital sex for that Right. I mean, I, w I would think that that would be subjective... I mean, he was dubbed the tricycle. The tricycle? Uh-huh. Because he was busy with three women. That oh. was That was his, his nickname, yeah. Okay. What yeah. a name. Did I just blow your mind the way you typically blow mine? Yeah. Yes! And also, he was a triple uh, agent, right? So yeah. he was just, mm -hmm. yeah, what a guy. Now, none of the questions that the German asked about Pearl Harbor were passed on by Hoover to the White House or anybody else. Instead... Hoover only had a small portion of that microdot material on the telegram to translate and pass on to the White House, to the Military Intelligence Division, and to the Office of Naval Intelligence. He used that information to demonstrate how effective and efficient the FBI was in discovering the microdot system rather than to warn about this upcoming possible attack. 
what he wanted it to look like was that he was doing a good job. He wanted to look good to the president and to gain points against his rivals, namely the other U.S. intelligence agencies and British intelligence. So the full text of Popov's questionnaire still rests in the files of the FBI, where it has been for over 40 years. Okay, so you're telling me that Popov came with to Hoover with this information. Hoover then said, I'm going to throw you in jail. Get away, you sex-crazy maniac. Then took the information, but not all of the information. Selective. Selective part of the information. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to make himself look good, but still didn't stop Pearl Harbor. Right. And then a total of 2,390 American service members and civilians were killed on December 7th, 1941. And, that could and have been prevented. It, it could have. He had the information. Now, what's crazy is that working as a triple agent, though, he couldn't have been loyal to any one of them. Like, we know now that he was working for these three different governments, and he was providing bad intel to a couple of them. So how do we know? Well, we know he we didn't like the Germans, mm-hmm. but he's from Serbia, so obviously his loyalty would belong to Serbia. Was Serbia an ally to... During World War II, there were several provinces of the Kingdom of Yugoslavia, which is basically modern-day Serbia, and that was occupied by the Axis powers, which was not us. We were the Allied powers. I wouldn't think that Serbia was that powerful in the war. Yeah, Serbia and Yugoslavia were amongst the countries that had the greatest losses in the war. Okay, so we know that he was a triple agent Uh for Great Britain, Serbia, and Germany. But we know he's from Serbia. We know that Great Britain was aligned with the United States. And we know he didn't like Germany. So we know he wasn't loyal to Germany. Right. Well, in 1941, in fact, just before Pearl Harbor, Serbia, which was the Republic of Yugoslavia at the time, was invaded by the Axis powers, which was, you know, the Germans and Italians and and all of them. So... I can imagine that he wasn't a, a fan of Germans. That probably fueled his anger towards Germans. Yeah. For, you know, invading his home country. Right. So he, he gave intel to Britain, gave intel to the United States. But yeah, interesting that he actually had a job as an agent for Serbia and Germany, too. Right. Yeah. We learned the inspiration for James Bond character. But what about the Bond girls? Christina Skarbek was a Polish agent of the British Special Operations Executive. Its purpose was to conduct espionage, sabotage, and reconnaissance in occupied Europe during World War II. She became celebrated for her daring exploits in intelligence and irregular warfare missions in Nazi-occupied Poland and France. She was the first female agent of the British to serve in the field and the longest serving of all Britain's wartime women agents, of often characterized in terms such as Britain's most glamorous spy. So at the request of MI6, both she and Andrzej Kowarski organized surveillance of all of the railroad and the river traffic on the borders between Romania and Germany. She's actually credited with providing intelligence on the oil transports to Germany from Romania's Ploesti oil fields. Starbuck spent 1941 traveling back and forth between Poland and Hungary. In Budapest in January 1941, she showed her pension for strategy when she and Kowarski were arrested by the Hungarian police and imprisoned and questioned by the Gestapo. She faked symptoms of pulmonary tuberculosis. How'd she do that? By biting her tongue hard. She gave the impression she was coughing up blood and might be suffering from TB. At the prison hospital, she underwent a chest X-ray, which horrified her doctor. With no idea about her previous lung scarry from exhaust fumes, he concluded that she was seriously ill and arranged for her and Kowarski released. Wow. How did he get released? Because she was supposedly sick. I don't have that information. (laughs) It worked out pretty well for the two of them. It worked out well for the two of them. I mean, imagine biting your tongue that hard, but... I bite my tongue all the time by accident. I think that I would... To to the point where you're bleeding and... and uh, Maybe not that bad. And looking and and spitting up blood to mimic... Tuberculosis? No, but to the point where it hurts for the next day or two. Oh. There were other types of sex spies uh, classified by government intelligence. Uh, What were those, Heather? Sex spies, persons who's engaged in prostitution, both male and female, heterosexual and homosexual alike. 
pornographic acting in persons who are not sex workers, but behave in promiscuous manners and are trusted agents associated with the service. Okay. So not sex workers. They're actually intelligent officials, but they will engage in sex. Okay. Sounds like a sex worker, but it's, I guess the difference is... They're intelligent officials. It, it, yeah. They're not being hired by the mark. They're being hired by a government official and freely giving their love to the mark. Yeah. Okay. In exchange for information. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and then there's Romeos, which were spies for East Germany. Their jobs were mainly targets like NATO headquarters with the mission of picking up female secretaries. This agent is a person who is not a professional member of the intelligence service, but rather one who is secretly in an organized way cooperates with the agency for various reasons. Right. So where we hear about these swallows going after people like President Kennedy before he was president or like these other like high ranking government officials, uh, the Romeos would be going after the female secretaries. So they might not be famous on their own. They might not be the ones making the decisions, but they're in the room. They have the information and they're recording it. Pop quiz. Who was a famous person, but was actually a secretary for higher ups with the CIA? Is this common knowledge? Maybe. Okay. Mm, Marilyn Monroe? No, she wasn't American. And I kind of feel like, and I could be wrong, Robin Williams did Mrs. Doubtfires and was inspired by this woman. Really? Julia Child? Yes! No way! Yes! Yes, she worked for, um, she was a a secretary and had much classified information uh, for the CIA. And that's how she met her husband. I'll be damned. Yeah. Did I just blow your mind again? You did. I'm getting better at this. You are. Okay. Keep them coming. (laughs) From the aspect of legality, the use of espionage is illegal. There is no doubt that espionage is sanctioned by criminal legislations of all modern states. If these agents were a sworn member, this would be considered entrapment. Right. So espionage is just the, is it the act of just obtaining information? But not just through research, but like illegally. So it kind of reminds me of the movie The Departed, which is actually a movie I have seen and I've seen it many of times, where Matt Damon is the cop. Leonardo DiCaprio never made it to the Academy, but he still kind of worked secretly for them as a spy. So I kind of feel like it was the Leonardo DiCaprio role where they weren't official, even though they got a payment they weren't officially sworn officers, so it's not entrapment. Whether if it was Matt Damon, it could be considered entrapment if what Leo was doing. I haven't seen it, but uh, what? Have, I own it on Blu-ray. What? Yeah, I'll have to watch it one of these days, right? I mean, that is a good one. Well, so is Austin Powers too, but not the third one, I think. So, <laughs> uh, there's a CIA agent, and he's also the author of a book called Red Sparrow. His name is Jason Matthews. He said that the Soviet Union had a sexpionage school. It's called the State School 4, and it was in Kazan, Tartistan, which is southeast of Moscow. This school trained agents to be swallows. All of the swallows had numbers instead of names, so it's very much like, what was that uh, Tarantino movie, uh, Reservoir Dogs, where they all had uh, like a color, uh, Mr. Pink, Mr. Brown, Mr. Black. Oh, yes, yes. Right. So the idea is that you don't use your real names, you don't get in trouble. In one event related in a 2018 New York Times interview by a former CIA agent named Jana Heistad Mendez, an American Marine stationed at the American Embassy in Moscow was seduced by a swallow and then subsequently allowed Russian agents onto the property. Mendez stated that other countries, like China, for example, had such programs as well. In 1963, the playwright and screenwriter Yuri Krotkov revealed that he had been told by the KGB to seek out attractive young women who could be used to seduce men. He would recruit actresses while doing his film work, promising them better film roles, money, and clothes. Matthews believes that the school had been closed, but the Russia now uses independent contractors as their uh, swallows or spies. So what do you think these schools were teaching? Like, how do you think the curriculum for these sex spy schools, like, how do they train? I would like to think that rather than teaching them ways to be better at sex, it would be more about teaching them the spy work, right? Teaching them the psychology behind it. Here's how you get somebody to trust you. 
Here's how you first start to make physical advances or how you can get them to want you more. Because it's, it's a game and you have to make them want you to bring you in closer. If you act all you know thirsty and trying to get close to them, they'll push you away and say something's up with her, right? I actually researched this. Uh-huh. And part of the curriculum was they were supposed to have sex with each other to desensitize them in front of the class. This was a whole class of women? No, it was men and women. Okay. And so they would have sex with each other while the class watched to desensitize them. And they had training like that where they'd watch porn or they'd, they'd engage in violent acts to desensitize them from other scenarios that could possibly happen when they were out doing their job i guess that makes sense i mean when you're in the army or the marines they have you doing all kinds of stuff jumping out of airplanes with parachutes and going through obstacle courses and getting uh gassed just for the sake of like hey when this happens in real life we want you to be prepared and act like it's you know no big deal be ready to, to roll with it so right and they're uh, not going to want their their spies that they're investing so much in to catch feelings and just screw everything up yeah catch feelings or imagine being there with uh, john f kennedy and having to say like uh this is my first time right <laughs> So in 2010, the FBI arrested 12 Russian spies all over the country attempting to gain entry into American political circles and send reports of their inner thinking back to Moscow, the most famous of which was Anna Chapman, or also referred to as Red Under the Bed by some media outlets because of her affiliation with Russia. She would have made a great movie spy, flaming red hair with the plausible cover of a Manhattan real estate mogul. But her best asset was made for modern espionage. Instead of breaking into a secure building and killing 20 guys like Angelina Jolie's character and would do in the movie Salt, she basically just kind of moved here and hung around for a couple years. Blending in, she sent the occasional transmission to her Russian handlers via her laptop, but there was nothing to distinguish her from millions of other New Yorkers. Right, so... Anna and 11 others won orders from Vladimir Putin, carefully crafted American normality, passing as white-collar professionals, maintaining a double life controlled by Moscow. Some of the accused assumed false names and background information. In one case, the identity of a dead Canadian was used. Anna and the illegals, as the Department of Justice referred to them, were dispatched to the United States to make friends, observe, and steal the occasional secret. Nearly all of them changed their names and passed themselves off as white-collar professionals, essentially trying to work their way up the ranks of finance and society so that they can unlock our mysterious ways. They all ended up being arrested, but the details of Anna's arrest are limited. The FBI claims to have surveilled Chapman since the moment she arrived in the U.S., focusing particularly on the weekly communications that she sent to the second secretary of the Russian mission to the United Nations, according to FBI documents. Chapman visited various Manhattan locations, Starbucks, Barnes & Nobles, where she would establish a local wireless network between her laptop and the UN officials who was parked in the van nearby. On June 26, 2010, an undercover FBI agent posing as a Russian operative contacted Chapman by phone. The two arranged to meet in a coffee shop downtown. The FBI agent, who called himself Roman, recorded their conversation. He handed Chapman a fake U.S. passport, telling her that she was to deliver the documents to the illegals. Fraudulent documents in hand, Chapman left the coffee shop and went to Brooklyn, where she bought a cell phone under the name of Irene Kutshoff and carefully tossed her phone contract into the trash can from which the FBI retrieved it. Mm. Now, was there a lot of information on there, considering that she used a fake name? I believe it would have her address on it, even though it was a fake name. Now, why'd she still use a Russian name? She could have called herself anything she wanted. Anything, yeah. I don't know. Huh. And then she just tossed it right in there in a trash can right on the street. She was being so careful. Up until, and yeah. And then made that mistake. Chapman called her father, who now holds a position in the Russian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, and he presumably advised her on how to handle the curious situation that she found herself in. The following day, Chapman entered the first precinct in Lower Manhattan and handed the passport to police. FBI agents soon arrived, and then the illegal's arrest began. Within days, three representatives of the Russian government visited the Metropolitan Detention Center, 
where they instructed Chapman to accept the deal that the Department of Justice was offering. In 2010, she pleaded guilty on conspiracy charges that she communicated with Russian Federation without registering as a foreign agent to avoid a lengthy wait for a trial. So she gets a phone call from Roman. They talk about something, which he records. Then they meet somewhere. He gives her fake documents. Mm -hmm. Then she goes and gets a new cell phone, throws away the receipt that has information or proof or something that since it's thrown away, she gets, you know, the FBI can now obtain this. She was basically set up, right? She was a Russian asset. And she fell for it. But she was also set up by this Roman, wasn't Roman. He was an American posing as a Russian, helping her spy against Americans, like supposedly, right? Was that the deal? Yeah, that's that's what it sounds like. But because the information is so limited, it's hard to like make sense of what what happened. And then she started having second thoughts, called her dad. Yeah. And, and of then course they knew about walked all this. into the precinct with these fake documents. So I don't know. What did a crime occur? Yeah. Anytime that there's a conversation where someone tells you to accept a plea deal, it means that something way worse could happen to you if you try to fight it. In this case, it sounds like she was in jail awaiting a trial and there was a long wait and she just didn't want to wait in that time. So it's like, you know, let me take this plea deal now. Hopefully I'll get a lighter sentence. And maybe she did. With Anna's capture, the United States negotiated a deal with Russia to swap 10 Russian agents arrested the previous month for four men imprisoned in Russia for alleged contacts with Western intelligence agencies. The illegals incident was so inconsequential that the Washington and the Kremlin arranged to pass off the prisoners on a Viennese tarmac to retreat to their neutral safe space. Okay, let's recap this because this gets a little bit confusing as it is when you have people on different sides pretending to be from other sides. Right. Here's my theory with Anna. I don't think she was very successful being a spy, but I think people within her network were. So she dropped the ball they nabbed her and used her to get all the other people. So in return, we had four people imprisoned in Russia. They had 10 people here and they're like, okay, well, we'll give you these 10 if you give us our four back. I don't think Anna was very good at her job, but I think there were people within her network that were the threats and Anna dropped the ball. Thus, it's kind of like she stood in the trap and everybody went is caught in that trap with her. Uh-huh. Maybe collateral damage or something. And she made the plea deal. And she, yeah. So that's where my head is thinking this is going. Okay. The FBI never revealed what kind of information the deep cover agents were passing on. But according to the list of indictments, it hints that they weren't very successful spies. Anna's ex-husband ended up selling naked pictures of her as revenge to Playboy, who printed them in the January 2011 issue. Connor? As you did your research with Stormy, I tracked down a copy of this specific issue. And I have it in my hand right now, January 2011. And here is world exclusive Russian spy Anna Chapman, nude. That's the what it says right there on the cover. And on the inside, it says here, the spy who loved me. And it's got some photos of her. And are you saying that these pictures were not taken by Playboy? They were revenge porn? These pictures are technically revenge porn. So these are pictures taken by Anna's former lover who then sold them to Playboy. So I know that Playboy used to buy pictures from a calendar company and that's how they acquired Marilyn Monroe's picture for the first magazine. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking of the, the ethics involved of it because I'm like, ooh, that feels kind of dirty. These are her private pictures. But revenge porn wasn't illegal in 2013. This was 2011. Maybe even 2010 because this is a January issue. Yeah, but so pu- is- publishing pictures of somebody without their knowledge or consent still should be illegal. That, but here's the thing. These don't look like professionally posed pictures, like in a like by a photographer in a modeling studio. Right. But she definitely looks like she's posing for the These photos. are definitely private pictures between two people who are enjoying whether it was a honeymoon or a vacation. And he definitely did sell them on revenge, but... You know, there wasn't anything illegal about it until 2013. And since technically he took those pictures, he's the rightful owner, even though they're of her. He's still the owner. Hopefully he had her sign a release form. 
if they're lovers, I would highly doubt that. Mm, it's still le- legality. I man. feel like now in any relationship, you have to sign a release form. I, and I a agree. prenup. And did, a prenup. Did you see this section here? The real life Bond girls? Yeah, that's why I... Uh, Josephine Baker. Yep. Christina Starbeck. Nancy Wake. Violet Zabo. And, and Julia, Julia Child. Child. How about that? Look at I do my research. In a Playboy. In a Playboy. Well, I appreciate- which now I'll give to you. Thank you. My son might be a little heartbroken. Oh, poor guy. He can get the new ones online. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, in 2012, FBI counterintelligence chief Frank Figliuzzi said that Chapman almost caught a senior member of President Barack Obama's cabinet in her honey trap operation. Subsequent reporting suggests that these initial reports were sensational misinterpretations. Officials from the U.S. Department of Justice claim that the FBI's concern was that another of the alleged spies, or Cynthia Murphy, was cultivating a relationship with Alan Petrikoff, who had co-chaired Hillary Clinton's 2008 presidential campaign. Cynthia Murphy worked as a banker in New York. Her husband, Richard, was a stay-at-home dad for their two girls. They lived in Montclair, New Jersey, in a modest home and surrounded by neighbors who were academics, journalists, and television funny man Stephen Colbert. Hey, I like him. I do too. Richard had forged a birth certificate later found in a safe deposit box and may have even been faked too. The couple paired together in Moscow for this assignment. The couple would meet Russian contacts and exchange information at train stations using invisible ink to write messages. They were given fake bank accounts and often accepted secret deliveries of large cash payments. Right. Since her return to Russia, Chapman worked as a head of a youth council for a young guard of United Russia. She worked as a catwalk model in Russian fashion shows, and she even ran a television series. She used Instagram to voice her political opinions, which were supporting Donald Trump, funny enough, and uh, she asked Edward Snowden to marry her on Twitter. Now living in the digital age, sex could be a more potent tool for espionage. In the digital world, the new honey trap is not sexual, it's not compromise, it's access. Cyber espionage is a form of cyber attack that steals classified sensitive data or intellectual property to gain an advantage over competitive companies or government entities. Cyber espionage is one of the most important and most intriguing international problems of the world today. This form of espionage is affecting the economic and political relationships between nation states as well as changing the shape of modern warfare. Which in a scenario we see in movies, a woman is picking up a man in a bar, drugging his drink, and then retiring to a hotel room with them. While the man lies passed out on the bed, the woman has plenty of time to download malicious software on the computer and read messages on his device. Getting data on a USB drive, unrestricted access to a laptop and a cell phone could provide vulnerabilities. Uh, it's crazy that all these people mentioned in the Playboy that were like sex spies. Imagine all of them like actually doing this stuff. Right. Could you imagine them all in, in the digital age? It's a whole different world. Yeah, it is. So do you want to know more about Julia Childs? Because I feel like it's kind of interesting, even though she wasn't a sex spy. Yeah, I do. Okay. Though she didn't use sex to her advantage, Julia Child became a top secret researcher for the director of the OSS, Office of Strategic Services which was a wartime intelligence agency in the United States during the World War II, now known as the CIA. Okay, I was going to say I haven't heard of the OSS. She first volunteered her services to the Office Strategic Services in 1942. The military had recently turned her away for being too tall. The Women's Army Corps was recruiting, but stipulated a maximum height of six feet. She was six foot two. Man spending most of her time typing up names and addresses of government executives and declassified government files. Child described how she typed over 10,000 little white cards and put them in for transfer. She moved steadily up the ranks from department to department, gaining more responsibility along the way. Wow. I know that she was a big woman and she had that kind of iconic voice. Hello. Yeah. I think it's... it's did... Did Robin Williams make Mrs. Doubtfire around Julia Childs? I have no idea. I, I hadn't heard that until today. Maybe somebody can tell us. Sure. Uh, maybe, maybe somebody knows. Uh, so Julia Child actually helped research a recipe for shark repellent, which is funny because I've seen that on uh, the old Batman movie when he's dangling from a, a ladder on a helicopter and he has a, a can of shark repellent spray. 
Uh, shark attacks were actually kind of rare, and media accounts had bred panic among frightened men. On some occasions, American naval explosives had been accidentally set off by inquisitive sharks, mistaking them for a snack. So shark repellent that we developed is actually still used today for downed space equipment. So it's strapped around it so the sharks don't attack it when it lands in the middle of the ocean. Her next assignment, working first in Ceylon, which is present-day Sri Lanka, and then in China, was handling top-secret papers that actually passed through her hands straight to the chief of the OSS registry. And then after that, she retired and then started teaching cooking, French she, cooking on TV? She learned how to cook in France and started teaching. And yeah, she was like the first big uh, cooking personality on television. I just remember her. Hello! Yeah, it sucks to be remembered for that only, but yeah. I mean, well, I've, I'm not really a, a chef or anything. Nor am I. I mean, I can make a pretty mean pizza pocket in an air air fryer. Really? Like, no. like a Hot Pocket? I was thinking more pizza rolls, but I'm also lying like, about that too. Like Totino's? <laughs> yeah. So did you learn anything from the podcast? I did, yeah. I learned that a lot of the stuff that I see in Austin Powers was actually a very clever joke that went right over my head. And I can appreciate now really the psychology that goes into being a spy, even if you're using your sexual prowess to try to you know get you information you definitely do have to have a disconnect like you can't get emotional with a person yeah i, I think that that wouldn't work for me i wonder if that counts with catfishing too it's like, definitely catfishing do they do do i mean yeah i, I mean they, they're showing their identity but they're not really showing their motive but i think catfish have a are, are backwards where they want that relationship, but they're not showing their true identity. They're hiding under something else. So are they, are they parallel? Are they the same? I think if anything, it's easier to catfish somebody now. Like back in the day, you would have to hang out at a bar and meet this person and develop some kind of a rapport mm -hmm. and see them more frequently and end up in their bedroom. Nowadays, all you have to do is like send somebody some sexy pictures and you can start kind of like a, a relationship online. Right. And before long, you think you're have some kind of like, you know, you become their confidant and you're like, I can tell this person anything. I'm never going to meet her. Have I ever told you that you remind me of Neve from Catfish? I don't think you have. I know I've told other people when they ask me like, what's Connor like? Da, 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 da. I'm like, just think of Neve from Catfish. I, I've never seen the movie, but I like the show and I like Neve. So I'll yeah. take that as a compliment. Yeah. Other people say that I remind them of Joe from the TV show You. I've never seen it. You got to see it. Joe from the what? What's the TV show about? It's about a guy who um, finds this girl that he likes, and he would do anything for her to uh, protect her and help her succeed. So are they saying it because you guys look alike, or because Joe mimics your personality? I don't look anything like this guy. Oh, okay. So it, must so, be something, so it has to do with your personality. It must be something else. I don't know. Okay. Well, I guess I'll have to watch it and then I can be able to, to say like, okay, you're a softie just like this one. I'll tell you what, if you watch the first three episodes of you, I'll watch The Departed. You know what? I feel like you're kind of getting the upper hand on that because it is a really good movie. It's a really good show. Okay. 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 Fair. Fair. I will go home tonight and I will look it up. And then I will let you know what I think about it. Fine. And if your your personality is aligned with Joe. Okay. You let me know what you okay. think. So every week we recommend a charity that we ask our listeners to contribute to if they like what they've heard. This week the charity is... ACLU.org. The link will be in the show notes. The ACLU dares to create a more perfect union beyond one person, party, or side. Their mission is to realize this promise of the United States Constitution for all and expand the reaches of its guarantees. Right. So that's the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. Whenever you see something in the news of a uh, certain marginalized population of our country treated unfairly, the ACLU comes into their defense. Obviously, there's not really any, any charities that support spies. So we just went ahead and we really want to make for liberty and justice for all. So we're definitely going to support this one. Sounds good to me. Right. So if you like what you hear, go ahead and hit subscribe if you haven't already. Feel free to leave us a five-star review. You can hit us on our Instagram, Madam's Hose and Gigolos. Hose is spelled H-E-A-U-X-S. And if you have a topic 
or a suggestion, hit us up in the DMs. I love interacting with people and I love getting ideas and I love talking back and forth and connecting with all you listeners. So speaking of sliding the DMs, I got a message from a listener about Billie Holiday. Did I send that to you? You did, yeah. Um, so for for our listeners that maybe haven't heard that episode, go back and check it out. But we did an episode about Billie Holiday, uh, the famous uh, jazz singer, who Hulu actually just released a movie uh, about her a little while ago. Now, Billie Holiday actually recorded a song called Strange Fruit that on the surface, uh, I thought it was literally just about strange fruit because I never really listened to the lyrics. But only when we were researching for our episode did I find out that the song is literally about young African-American men hanging from a tree in a lynching that was very public. Uh, in fact, it was a very famous photograph that the song was written about. And we got a message about that incident. It was a chilling message. And I got it from somebody who I consider a friend. She asked to be anonymous. But the message was, my grandfather, he's white and Native American, but passed as white was 15 at the time of the lynching of Thomas Shipp and Abram Smith. We're from Muncie, Indiana. His father and a group of other white people who were allies got together and went down to Marion to try and get the bodies down. They drove in a huge caravan and had their guns. My grandfather was with them and he said they were met by an angry mob along with the police. That story was so chilling. After a long standoff, they eventually cleared away for a black mortician to take the bodies down. Wow. Somebody that you know has a connection like that. Yeah, that, was it was amazing. Right and I get chills when I when I talk about it. And I'm so thankful that she reached out and, and told us. And she said she had her grandfather, a memory of her grandfather is she, he would listen to the song Strange Fruit and she hadn't heard it in years. And then when we played it, it brought back like memories of her. And so this really gives, like this kind of feedback also gives us a reason. Like, let's keep doing this. Let's keep going. Like, to me, that was a touching, very touching reason why we do, we're do we doing what we're doing and why I want to keep moving. Yeah, for sure. Um, this podcast is available uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Google Podcasts, iTunes Podcasts, Amazon, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Spotify. You we're on Pandora it. now? Yeah. We keep adding them. I know. That's great. Uh, if you like what you hear, subscribe and send us to your friends that you think would enjoy this as well. Thank you for listening. 